Truth News Network. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. And we deal in facts. Here's one. You might want to write this one down. You can't comply your way to freedom. That's how prisons work. Seeing the picture? Here's someone who can make it clearer. His name is Dan Newman. Boy, he's got us thinking deeply this morning. You can't comply your way to freedom. (laughs) I guess the only way to do it is if you go to prison, you serve your sentence, and then you get free again. (laughs) I know what he was talking about, and you do too. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the last work day week, or work week day. I'll get it straight in a second. Friday, it's always good when Fridays show up. Usually that gives us a couple of days in which we can choose. I want to do this this weekend. I want to go there. I want to watch this movie. I want to go to this Broadway musical. Well, that not quite in my scenario. Not that I don't like Broadway musicals, but I'm kind of still a little bit unwelcome up there. You know, the, the mandates, I can't keep up with them. And to be quite honest with you, I don't even try. I just do the best that I can do wherever I am and what's available when I get there. It's kind of like this, folks. In COVID world, the COVID gods have kind of got us to normalize being a little bit scared of the virus and all the stuff that goes along with it. And here we are almost three years. Actually, I guess we are three years in the COVID world. And you know what's interesting? We don't have a dime's worth of more information about COVID, truthful, factual information about COVID than we did three years ago at this time. I wonder why that is. Boy, somebody ought to write a bestseller exposing all that. I don't know that you could put it all in one book. We see and we uncover little bits and pieces of the political narrative that went along with the facts of COVID that were pretty much just covered up. And all we got was the political narrative for a long time. And every once in a while, we were able to shine a light on what we were being misrepresented with. And there were never any apologies. Do you remember one time that you've heard Dr. Anthony Fauci come out and apologize for any misinformation that he gave to us as factual and millions of Americans every time he would give us facts, and I put facts in quotation marks, every time he would give us some, they would change their lives based solely on what he told us. You remember, oh, it's stupid to wear these masks. It's just for show. They don't work. And then a couple of weeks later, well, yeah, I think everybody should wear a mask. We've got to stop the transmission of this virus. We know that it is primarily transferred through the air. And then he even went so far as to suggest that we wear three masks, social distance Well, that's going to work. It didn't work. Lockdowns. Stop everything. That didn't work. It's just one thing after another. And meanwhile, guess what's going on? Everybody that has anything to do with the pharmacological part of this virus, and what part is that? That's the dollars and cents. The manufacturing of vaccines, transporting vaccines, selling vaccines. Everybody made tens of millions of dollars. And there was only one customer for all of them. 
all three of them, Johnson & Johnson, Moderna, and Pfizer, the American taxpayers. We wrote the checks, and they made billions of dollars. One would think to stop a pandemic that good American corporations, even good American corporations are not American in other countries, they would see the need, they would see the urgency, and they would cut the prices just a little bit, don't you think? Because after all, they are doing what they are doing, operating their company, and they're operating it by selling stuff primarily to the citizens of the United States. Wouldn't it wouldn't have been nice if we could have just gotten a little discount here and there, rather than raise the prices because COVID God, Anthony Fauci, every day scared Americans to death and we were buying anything and everything we could get our hands on. I promise you, before the calendar turns another year, there are going to be some people that are going to say, you know what, this was crazy, and start going back and looking. And when I say some people, I'm talking about people in power. Don't be surprised if you see some uh, Department of Justice investigations opened up. If not now, when the next Congress convenes in January of 2023, uh, excuse me, 20, when's, when's the midterm? Let's see, this is 2022. We have midterms, my gosh. Yeah, when the next Congress convenes in January of 2023 and they take back the House of Representatives, at least you're going to see some of those investigations take place. And what will happen immediately? The leftist media will go absolutely stark raving crazy. It's a witch hunt. Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump, MAGA people, white supremacists. I mean, they're brands that they throw on everybody who disagrees with them. They're just getting tired. Nobody listens. Nobody cares. Just give us the facts. We don't need the political thuggery that goes along with it. We're pretty intelligent people. We can digest it and we can handle the truth. That's a novel idea. (laughs) Very few people operate their lives on that basis. They like to change the truth, bend the truth plug the truth into their perspective on everything. Forget about truth, but we can just do anything. We can just say anything and label it the truth. And because of who we are, if you're in the right group, it's okay. After all, you have your truth and I have my truth. We have a busy calendar today, folks. And of course, the 900-pound gorilla in the room is Ukraine. Kiev still hasn't fall, has fallen as a minute ago. And Volodymyr Zelensky, president of Ukraine, is still there. In just a couple of minutes, we're waiting for latecomers to sign on because I know they don't want to miss it. Our buddies down south, Sky News, they were able to have an extensive one-on-one conversation. Well, it is, I guess it, it, it it's now... Well, it was really early this morning, Ukraine time. So it was while we were sleeping last night. One of their reporters got inside wherever the president of Ukraine is hiding and had a good long conversation with him. And it's in English. He speaks pretty good English. So in just a minute, we're going to let him get the 
story about what's going on in Ukraine today. Get that started. Then we'll add some other things because there are other things going along. But don't you think hearing from the president of a country that is being invaded while the president's country is being invaded, it's best to get the inside look through the eyes of that president. So we've had enough time now. It's 9.08. Why don't we do this? Sky News with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. This is probably the most fortified office in the world right now, and we've been asked not to film anything which could give away the position or the layout. Behind these multiple layers of security, they're guarding the man most wanted by Russian troops and Vladimir Putin. He's speaking to about 10 world leaders a day and gets by on four hours of sleep a night. Oh, Mr. President, nice you, Alex Crawford from Sky News UK. Thank you very much. Thank Thanks you. for giving us the time. I know you must be exhausted. But surrounded by his security in a heavily barricaded office, the Ukrainian president is bristling with energy. And as a former actor, he knows very well the power of the media and how essential it is to get his message out. Thank you very much. I'm Jake. Jake, nice to meet you. So, first of all, just want to know how you are. How are you feeling? The House of Commons... How you see? I think I'm feeling like all the Ukrainians. We are feeling... strong. A long pause, because he's also clearly frustrated at the world's response. We can't stop alone all this. No, How do you it, think it, it is stopped? It, 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 How is it going to stop? Only start? if uh, the world will unite around Ukraine. Around, they are uniting around Ukraine. They are not. They are still. It, it's still very slowly. It's still very slowly. But you can feel it only when you are here, because the people from Europe or USA, it's, it's far from Ukraine. It's far from the heart of this tragedy, and and you you can't see, you, you you can't understand the details because you are not fighting here. And I understand why. And I don't want them to fight. But these countries can help, can unite. We are speaking about closing the sky. You can't decide to close or not to close. You can't decide. If you are united against the Nazism and this terror, you have to close. Not me. Don't wait me asking you several times, a lot, million times, close the sky. No, you have to phone us to our people who lost their children and say, sorry, we didn't do it yesterday, one week ago. We didn't push Putin. We didn't speak with him a lot. We didn't found, find the dialogue with him. We, 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 we did nothing. And it's true. Yesterday. The world did nothing. I'm sorry, but it's true. Now, a lot of countries, at least here, us, and now close the sky and stop bombing. Don't, don't speak about the bureaucratic steps and we have, we have united, we have, have united decision. We can have sit down and vote in the parliaments. Uh, we don't have so much time. The rest of the governments, as I understand it, think it will become worse if they involve themselves actively. So it would be worse for whom? For our families? No. For whom? For them? Uh, no. Who knows? Nobody knows. 
And, but, but we know exactly that now is very bad. And in future, it will be too late. And believe me, believe me, if, if it's prolonged this way, yes, you will see, they will close the sky. But we'll lose millions of people. They're preparing to fight even in the president's office. And he claims the Russian bombing of hospitals shows the mark of the enemy. They want us to feel like animals because they blocked our cities, the biggest cities in Ukraine, and uh, they blocked and, and uh, because they don't want our, our people to get some food, water. Yesterday, for example, children, I don't know if you, if you know, the children in Mariupol was, uh, the child was dead. The idea to, Ukra Ukra to do with Ukrainians animals, but, but, but we are not, that, that's it. Is it possible to do a deal with the Russians or not? It doesn't sound like it, it is. It will be very difficult. Yeah. Anyway, it will be very difficult. But, but it's true that I will try and we'll see. But not, not only on my... Not, it's, it's, it's not the story about, you know, it's not fairy tale, the serious things. It's not about my own decision. It's the decision of two countries and two peoples. Yes? And... and the decision of two presidents, and one of them is Putin. So we'll see. Well, what happens if he said, you, if you go, if you, President Zelensky, leave, if Putin says, President Zelensky, go, then we can stop the war? I love my country, and I know that was one of the ideas, and not my ideas. I don't, wa I don't want to speak whose ideas, but I know exactly that if I lived my office and my country, my people, I think that it would be very difficult for our country, it would be very difficult to unite our country, it would be very difficult to have strong people, we have strong army, but it would be very difficult to unite people and army and to unite all our nation. That's why I think my decision was right. I think so. Who knows? We'll see in future. You may not give up, but can you actually win against a much bigger force? It will never be Russians. If the idea to do us Russians, the idea is not, not, not great, so it will, it will fail. And so you can occupy it, of course. All the big countries can occupy it. A little bit smaller countries or very small countries. There are a lot of countries which Russia can occupy. It. That, is, that is the idea of Nazism. You think they wouldn't ever agree to any Russian uh, proxy? Instead of me? Yeah, instead of you. And it stopped the war. So there's no more... You don't, you don't think the people would agree to that? I think... First of all, that is the decision, not mine and not Putin, that is the decision of Ukrainian nation, who is mm -hmm. the president of Ukraine. Mm -hmm. I think so. Mm -hmm. That's Alex Crawford of Sky News interviewing overnight, last night, while you were sleeping, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, and they were really sheltered in his office, wherever it is at this particular time. You heard from him. I thought it would be best to know exactly what's going on and what's changed, if anything. And um, hearing it from him just makes it more credible. Why is that? There was no pontification. Well, let me tell you what President 
Zelensky really meant when he said it. We hear that all the time so much that we've become numb to it. Interesting, isn't it? He's not quitting, folks. He had an opportunity at the very beginning of this. The United States gave it to him to fly he and his family to safety. And he said, no, I'm staying with my people. My family want to stay here with my people. And I think his doing that is why we are living today the 16th day of this quote-unquote invasion of Russia, of Putin. Vladimir Putin apparently expected the Ukrainian army and the Ukrainian Air Force to just, in a day or so, maybe two or three at the most, just kind of give up. And the president, Zelensky, to just cave and say, we're going to do what you want us to do. It hadn't happened. Apparently, the Ukrainian people are very strong and have a lot of fortitude and a lot of commitment to their nation. And you know what? When you look back in history, it wasn't that long ago that Ukraine was not a free nation. And that makes a lot of this ring truer and understandable when you know the past. They weren't. They were under the rule of the old Soviet Union. And only after the Soviet Union failed did they get the chance to declare their independence and start a country that they operated themselves, a democratic country. Go figure. Although there is and has been a lot of corruption in the politics in Ukraine, to be honest, it's that way in a lot of European countries, it's been a democratic country. Well, what about elections? If elections aren't fair, <laughs> you know you know where that is headed. Just because you're a democratic country doesn't necessarily mean everything's perfect. Their election system, I'm sure, is a little speckled, but I'm sure they're working on it. I know ours is more than just a little speckled, and I'm not so sure that our current government is working on that. In fact, they're fighting against any of the states working on that to ensure that their elections are safe, are fair, and that every registered voter, his or her vote counts every time, and no fake votes, no illegal votes are being counted. We're not at 100%, but I think we're going to get there. That's not the only news out of Ukraine today. Here's a perspective of something about the beginning of this thing that I hadn't heard anybody talk about. You remember this, our leaders predicted that Kiev, the capital city of Ukraine, was going to fall very quickly after the beginning of the Russian invasion. It hasn't happened. So why were they, our experts, so wrong? Hmm. Right at the very beginning, as Russia massed that big presence on its border with Ukraine, Western intelligence officials, I love that, Western intelligence officials, we could say it another way, Western Experts were concerned the capital city of Kiev could fall in just a few days at the beginning of the Russian assault. And here we are two weeks into the conflict. The capital remained in Ukrainian hands, still does overnight. Russian troops have failed to make any big progress as Ukraine's opposition forces, they're putting up a fierce resistance. And so far it's worked. Russian military forces, on the other hand, trying to encircle the city now, but the loss of equipment 
and the loss of personnel has taken its toll and slowed significantly their advance to Kiev. Meanwhile, Moscow has targeted several other Ukrainian cities with some devastating airstrikes that have left civilians dead, forced many to flee to neighboring countries, and it looks like Poland's getting most of those that are fleeing Ukraine. The predictions that Kiev would fall, a major Russian objective, represented an intelligence failure. That's according to Rebecca Koffler, former Defense Intelligence Agency officer. Part of the misstep by intelligence officials was the influence of previous events, she said. She talked about the disastrous withdrawal of U.S. troops from Afghanistan, also the September 11th attacks, and everything that happened in the Iraq War. You can just throw Benghazi into that, right? (laughs) They're a little bit influenced by all that. They wanted to telegraph to the policymakers the urgency, Koffler said. In early February, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, General Mark Milley, He told Congress during a closed-door briefing that Kiev could fall within 72 hours after the beginning, the very beginning, of a full-scale Russian invasion. He said the operation could result in 15,000 Ukrainian military deaths, 4,000 Russian troop deaths. I don't understand how these people come up with these numbers, especially military people. They're just guesses. Well, that guess like other guesses regarding how long Afghanistan's army could last without U.S. support, for example, has already been disproved. Kiev has held out long past the gloom and doom forecast of what was going to be. The war grinds on. Last week, Russia claimed it had lost 498 military people, a figure widely disputed by our Pentagon, which put the death toll somewhere between two and 4,000. Ukraine has claimed nearly 11,000 military deaths, Russian military deaths, and the Kremlin is believed to be actively concealing the true number. There's mud on their faces, no doubt about it, and they don't want the world to know that that little Ukrainian army and air force are kicking their butts in a lot of places inside Ukraine. The fact remains, Kiev did not fall. Afghanistan did not stand, despite... General Milley's speculations in May of last year that the U.S.-backed government in Afghanistan would. It's not a foregone conclusion in my professional military estimate that the Taliban automatically win and Kabul falls or one of those kind of dire predictions. That's the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, General Milley. There's a significant military capability in the Afghan government. We have to see how this plays out. Well, Afghanistan, he just they just kind of uh, spit in the face of General Milley. They fell, I mean, really before anything happened to the Taliban, After right after we shut down Bagram Air Base. Milley, along with Defense Secretary Austin, Secretary of State Blinken, was among the Biden administration leaders who greenlit that plan. They are now helping direct the U.S. response to Russia's aggression in Ukraine. In other words, it doesn't matter if you were a poor leader and failed and it cost a bunch of lives and still is costing a bunch of lives in Afghanistan, we're still going to trust you to make the right decisions in this Russian invasion of Ukrainian as it pertains to the U.S. 
The fighting between both sides in this thing, they've gotten a little bit closer every day to Kiev as civilians continue to be targeted by the Russian shelling. Monday of this week, Ukraine claimed to have downed two Russian aircraft over the area. Russian artillery units have shelled the outer portions of the city, but they haven't gotten to the nuts and bolts downtown, the inner city of Kiev. And that's where the experts tell us, the military experts, and not those in our Pentagon. I'm talking about real people that have been service out there in combat around the world in various cities and understand it. It's called guerrilla warfare when they get into a closed town, you know, the the, the downtown area. What, what does that mean? In guerrilla warfare, what the invading military will do, they will take one city block and surround it. And then from four sides, they will make a concerted push through these buildings, moving toward the center of each building. And then their high rises, they go up. And what happens, they just kill everything that they come in contact with. I mean, it's pretty nasty. So where does the meter fall on who has the advantage if they get into that? I got to be honest with you. Military experts and military historians say there's a huge advantage for the city, the people, the army that is being invaded. Why is that? Because they're already entrenched. They're inside these locations, these apartment complexes, these office buildings. They're already in there, and they know the lay. They know how many people they have, and they station them strategically. When the guerrilla war people come in, the fighters come in, they have to go in knowing nothing about what's going on inside. From a manpower standpoint, Russia sent nearly 100% of its combat forces already into Ukraine. That's according to our Defense Department. This is a very unusual move. Armed forces tend to keep numbers in reserve outside the theater of combat. You never know what you're going to need. In addition, Moscow was recruiting Syrian fighters. That's interesting to back up the Russian army as the Kremlin struggles to uh, contain its losses, along with condemnation from the world over the invasion and their political and economic isolation. Moscow has already reported that they sent Chechen forces to hunt down Ukraine President Zelensky. Those forces have been eliminated, killed by the Ukrainians. A former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Conflict and Stabilization Operations told us overnight that predictions about whether Kiev would fall to Russian troops came before the Winter Olympics back in February. I'm not sure it was an intelligence failure, this expert said. I don't know that it was an inaccurate statement to say that it could have fallen within 72 hours, three days. As time languished on, Ukraine, they became prepared. He noted that such dire warnings could possibly be messaged with the intent of spurring one's allies to make necessary preparations or possibly overcompensating for the miscalculations in Afghanistan. And remember this, let's just for a second, think back to the Olympic Winter Games. Russia's invasion of Ukraine came just a couple of days after the end of the Olympic Games. A misstep on Putin's part. 
The reason why he waited to begin military operations is left to speculation. Many people think that he had an agreement with Chinese President Xi Jinping, who requested his buddy, Vladimir Putin, would wait till after the Olympics were over because he did not, Xi Jinping did not want the eyes of the world to be in Russia when the Olympics were going on. I don't see him as having that sort of sensitivity or caring unless there might have been some sort of tactic or mutual agreement with China, this military expert said. If he did that, that would be a surprising strategic blunder on his part. I tend to think there's another explanation behind the scenes as to why there was this lull before the start of the conflict, perhaps to allow predictable sanctions targets enough time to move assets before the U.S. sanctions would be put in place. So today, as the war rages on, here comes our intelligence warnings. They're now saying the downfall of Kiev is irrelevant. That's according to Daniel Hoffman, a retired CIA senior clandestine services officer. He said that intelligence doesn't make predictions. This is a quote from Dan. The Russian logistics suck. (laughs) Their supply chain sucks. Zelensky has been a hero. Ukrainians have stepped up to fight. It's always on a spectrum. You ask some CIA analyst, they would have said, I have a low, medium, or high level of confidence that the fight could last this long or that long. I'm not even sure it's an issue, he said. It's over. It doesn't matter. The fight is on. Now, let me tell you what we're looking at. Let's go up for just a minute. Go up with me. Let's take off. We're in a private plane, and I'm flying, and we're looking down about 10,000 feet. We're watching the landscape of all of this. Let me tell you where we are, in my opinion. In comparison to other circumstances in which we find ourselves in some type of military conflict, folks, we have the least competent military leaders in our government, in our military, that we've had in my lifetime. The people at the top, after you say military and then you say commander-in-chief, President of the United States, Joe Biden, totally foreign policy incompetent. His life, he's proved it over 50 years. But after him comes all the generals and the admirals and all the leaders in our military. And folks, this group in leadership, in this military group, from the Secretary of State, the Secretary of Defense, National Security Advisor, all the way down, are the same people that were doing it in a different part of the world when the Benghazi attacks happened. And what's the commonality of all that? Well, Joe was vice president when that happened, and Barack Obama was president. And so they think of the world from the same perspective as they thought about the world when ISIS began, they were all there. When Benghazi happened, they were all there. We were arming those Syrian rebels that we were told were trying to take Bashar Assad out of office there in Syria. He was the bad guy. 
So we were giving arms to those great Syrian rebels. Find out those happened to be ISIS. So we armed ISIS. General Lloyd Austin was the head of CENTCOM at the time. Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State. Jake Sullivan was one of her right-hand men, as was Antony Blinken. Those two now, Blinken, Secretary of State. Sullivan is the White House National Security Advisor. Why would we expect them to do things differently than we've watched them do previously? They are never decisive. None of them, from the President, Commander-in-Chief on down. If it quacks and it waddles, it's a duck, folks. It's a duck. And we're going to see the same things over and over and over again. Now, let's let's just circle back over to Ukraine. Russian President Putin said early this morning, our time, progress has been made in Moscow's talks with Ukraine. While the Kremlin said the conflict would end when the West took action to address Moscow concerns. And now let's talk about that sentence there. What the heck does this What's going on in Ukraine between Ukraine and Moscow? Why does the West, the West, that would be everybody that is West of Moscow, Russia. That includes us. That includes the UK. That includes France and Germany and the Netherlands. It includes everybody that is West of Moscow. Why would the war in Ukraine, in Ukraine, Why would that conflict end only when the West takes action to address Moscow concerns? I thought it was between Ukraine and Russia, not the rest of the world. So at a Kremlin meeting with Belarusian President Alexander Lyshenko, Putin said Western sanctions would not hinder Russian development and that Russia would end up stronger which, I want to be nice the way I say this, that is a bucket of horse hockey. He then said Ukrainian negotiations were taking place practically every day. There are certain positive shifts, he said. Negotiators on our side say that. I'll talk about it, all of this, later. So Lukashenko told Putin that both of them were from Soviet generations which had endured sanctions and that the Soviet Union had developed well. Russian invading forces in Ukraine have killed more Ukrainian civilians than soldiers. That's according to Ukraine's defense minister. That's not a good thing. In a war, you don't want to, when you're invading a country, you don't want to kill the people that are there. The object is to take over that country, right? You want to invade, but you want to have something left. You want to have people left after the war's over. It's interesting this is happening this way. Reznikov, Ukraine's defense minister, said, I want this to be heard not only in Kiev, but all over the world. Thousands of people are believed to have been killed across the nation since Russian forces began this thing two weeks ago. The United Nations Human Rights Office said yesterday it has recorded the killings of 549 civilians in Ukraine since this all began, and that includes 26 children. Vladimir Putin has ordered that so-called volunteer fighters, 
should be brought into Ukraine. Can you see a young boy, and they're putting 16, 17-year-old kids in the Russian military already during this fight? Can you see some kid running down the street over there, especially seeing what they're seeing on television, raising their hand, ooh, 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 I want to go, I want to go, put me in the military. They're volunteers, Putin said. Defense Minister Sergei Shogai said Russia knew of more than 16,000 applications from countries in the Middle East, many of them from people who he said helped Russia against ISIS. They want to take part in what they consider a liberation movement. Shogun said on the side of Russian-backed separatist regions in eastern Ukraine. Putin told the defense minister that Russia should help would-be volunteers to move to the combat zone and contrasted them with what he called foreign mercenaries on the other side fighting for Ukraine. It's simply a case of good guy, bad guy, because we're who we are. We're the good guys, and they're the bad guys. One big bank, this kind of surprised me, Deutsche Bank, headquartered in Germany, and of course we in the United States have Deutsche Banks as well. Well, they decided not to exit Russia, one of the few banks that have not left Russia. And they defended that decision not to cease its operations in Russia, stating that it is not practical to do so. They were talking to CNBC. The German bank's chief financial officer, James von Moltke, said exiting the country would not be the right thing to do with regard to its clients. That's a novel idea. Deutsche Bank has clients in Russia, and they're still operating there because of their clients. And when asked, the CEO did not name any of the bank's clients. I get it, folks. I get it. If you're a business, I don't care if you're a bank or a tractor company or a bug sprayer, you want to work because when you provide your services, your goods and services, that's the way everybody makes money. But sometimes, folks, based solely on principle, you got to say, I'm not going to do business with that guy or that company anymore, especially when that company or business that we're referencing is out there killing people without any provocation before they did it. If Even if the number of the dead Ukrainians is 549, I can't imagine why that wouldn't be significant enough to get Deutsche Bank to pull out of Russia at least temporarily and say, look, you killing people? They didn't do anything? Didn't deserve it? We're not going to do business with you, at least for a while. Well, guess who's over there? (laughs) Guess who is over there? Vice President (laughs) Kamala Harris. I'm not going to play any of it. I don't want you to see it. If you want to watch it, you can go grab it somewhere else because she's vice president. And now it's not just because she's vice president. Because she's vice president and she steps in her mouth with her foot almost every time she opens her mouth, you're going to see all kinds of uh, video bites and little segments of things that she says because what she's doing over there It's all for political purposes. There's no substance there. She doesn't have a clue about anything military. And it's kind of, um, it's kind of crass 
for the White House to send her out there. I understand there's a big division between her and the president's people. They're not really um, keen on getting her involved in any kind of decision-making things. But, I mean, as an African-American woman, she's not African-American, but they say she is. She's Jamaican, and her mom's from India. Um, A woman of color, that's vice president of the United States, second most powerful office in the U.S. government, it's important for her to get out and mingle with the other country's leaders. But what's happening as she does that, more and more and more Americans are saying, oh my God, she could be the president in five minutes. Just think about that. You've seen her, you've heard her over and over and over again. When she says anything regarding governing, what she says is always a head-scratcher. I mean, she rambles all over the place, and she says things after she giggles. She says things that in many cases don't even make any sense. I just don't get it. But in a best-case scenario, even though she's going to be with Joe Biden for three more years, as long as this administration lasts, um... She's not in a place where she can make a lot of decisions, except when it comes to casting, deciding votes in the Senate when there's a tie between Democrat and Republican voters. A couple of times that's happened, and it came out the bad way for conservatism, for anti-deep state stuff. That's bad enough, but folks, now she's representing us over there. She's doing our cackling. She doesn't know what to say, when she's supposed to say it. And the odd thing about all that is every speech she makes, she's got a teleprompter right in front of her. All she's got to do is read. She can't even do that. What's up next? Well, gasoline, fuel prices, natural gas. And the news about it ain't good, and it's not getting better. But we've clawed some facts out that we want you to consider, some options that our governments over here, not just federal government, but state governments could take to make things a little better for us. We'll wait into that right after this at TNN Live. At Banhammer Bank, we want you to trust us with your money because it's with your money that we can make you more money. How? It's not funny business. It's money business. You give your money to us and it will grow with interest. That's the plan at least. Maybe that's too complicated for you. Imagine planting a money tree in the ground and watering it. Hold on. Imagine if you had a money pet and you fed it more money and after digesting it would... uh, Okay, you want to go money fishing, so you use a little money to catch a big money. You know, just come in and talk to us. We have even more metaphors that allow us to avoid saying what we really do with your money. Banhammer Bank. Feed the money monster. Don't miss our iHeartRadio at-home session with Jesse McCartney. Presented by Hellman's. An exclusive and intimate performance. At a time when we're craving live music. Watch Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on iHeartRadio's YouTube. Missing that restaurant flavor at home this summer? Hellman's is bringing crave-worthy flavors to you. Serving up new drizzle sauces that you can put on pretty much anything. With flavors like cilantro lime, roasted garlic, and creamy chili honey. You can drizzle, dip, and dress to make home the best restaurant around. Summer seems even brighter when you've been inside a while. 
It's time to drive again with Honda, KBB.com's 2020 Best Value Brand. You could get a great deal on the 2020 Passport or 2020 Pilot, with financing as low as 0.9% APR on select models. Visit the Honda Summer Clearance Event today. For well-qualified buyers, see dealer for financing details based on 2020 brand image source from Kelly Blue Book. Visit KBB.com for more information. Hi, Tom Bodette. Motel 6's new improved website lets you book a room and save more for what you travel for faster than ever. Even faster than you can find your keys, which you swore were right on the little hooky thing by the garage door where they always are, and we can land a robot on a comet, but we can't keep keys from disappearing. Oh, here they are. Left them in my jacket. Don't you hate that? I'm Tom Bodette for the new improved Motel6.com, and we'll leave the light on for you. George Orwell said freedom is the right to tell someone what they don't want to hear. Today, that's called the truth. At truthnewsnet.org. Here's Dan Newman. And of course, in the original version of that, it was called, in the First Amendment, the freedom of speech. And nobody could abridge it. It always belonged to the American people, not our government. They could not abridge our freedom of speech. And, of course, now we have Facebook and Twitter and Google and YouTube. They do that every day. And even though we squawk a little bit about it, they're still getting away with it every day. It's kind of like an attack on the United States Constitution, which they're not supposed to be able to do that. You would think that our lawmakers by now would have stepped in and said, hey, guys, enough's enough. But it hadn't happened. It's been going on for years. It happened the entirety of the Trump administration, those four years. So why hasn't anything happened? Let me guess. Whenever you question the reasoning, the purposes for decisions that are made that are counter the Constitution, there's only ever one reason that it's being done. Follow the money. The biggest donators in the United States political system now are big tech and big corporations. If you got all the money when it comes to politics, especially when it comes to the left in leadership in uh, governments across our states and our nation, when it comes to them, they're the hardcore, let's take the freedoms away. Let's turn our backs on the Ten Amendments, the Bill of Rights. And let's just do what the left think is the thing and the things to do politically. And that's where the money goes. Why? Because they promised they'll leave big tech alone and let them just push out there, do the abridging of free speech, everything they want to do, because nobody in D.C. in power is going to hold them accountable. And that's why big tech have been doing everything they can to keep a Donald Trump or someone with the same kind of philosophy about the Constitution and the rights that are guaranteed to the people. They don't want that person to get in charge. They don't want to be held accountable for their violations of our American rights. That's what's going to happen. We've got some good news before we talk about gas. President Biden just took to the podium, and he was pretty good reading his talking points off the teleprompter. And uh, he made some claims. Basically, he's going to hold Vladimir Putin responsible. Doesn't that make you feel warm and fuzzy? 
got some new stuff they're going to do. They're going to expand those um, sanctions against Russia. They're going to get some other countries to ratchet down as well. Vladimir Zelensky had a substantive conversation with our president and according to him, gave him the assessment of the situation on the battlefield, informed Biden about the crimes of Russia against the civilian population. We agreed on further steps to support the defense of Ukraine and increase sanctions against Russia. Now let's back away just for a second and it's just you and me talking. Sanctions are one thing. We've been told they're horrible, but we've also been told, yeah, they're horrible, but it takes a long time for them to make the impact that will prompt whoever they're levied against to make the decisions to stop doing or to start doing what the contingencies of these um, of these mandates, of these um, policies that are put in place to get them, force them to make those decisions until they make them. It takes a long time, which basically means Putin knows that he's going to have a lot of time that he's going to be able to push and squeeze and squeeze in Ukraine, even though he's being sanctioned in these ways that are costing the Russian people a lot, costing Vladimir Putin a lot, but he can't turn around and walk away now, folks. He's invested 100% in now in Ukraine. So this thing, what's going to happen? My opinion, it's going to drag on and on and on, unless there is a miracle that happens and Ukraine can turn the tide very quickly against Russia. And here's the thing that most people in free nations around the world are wondering. Why is the United States not getting involved in this? We have the uh, reputation of always getting into these things and standing up for and helping the little guy, which would be Ukraine and Volodymyr Zelensky. We haven't done that. We've said a lot. And everything we've done regarding doing anything there has come very late. And I'll tell you this, unless we really engage, I don't know that Ukraine will make it because NATO is not going to get in there. Even if the United States gets involved somehow, even if it's hands off from afar militarily and we don't engage by sending troops directly over there, If NATO goes, we have to go. If we go, NATO doesn't have to go because we're not being attacked by Russia. So the Article 5 agreement in NATO that says any NATO member that's attacked and has to get into a conflict, what it means is every other NATO nation must, by contract, by agreement, participate with that NATO nation that's been attacked. So if we decide to do anything militarily against Russia, NATO doesn't have to come in. They won't come in. In fact, what they'll do is they'll stand back, in most cases, and they'll throw rocks at us for doing it because we haven't been invaded. It was Ukraine. If and when this happens, and I think it will, like I'm telling you, we may do something, and it may be something that we do that is barely very much benign, but Putin's going to make it as we are attacking Russia. He'll use that excuse to ramp it up and maybe get some other nations to come in and support him. 
when that happens, there will be some NATO nations that will walk away from their Article 5 agreement, and that agreement says they don't have to come in and fight with the United States against Putin. They're going to say, look, this is the Ukrainian people. This isn't the United States. This isn't just Russia. It's Europe. We got to go stop this thing. You watch. I think if we see this get elongated much more, we may see that happening. Gas prices, of course, still soaring across the nation. Record high for the fourth consecutive day. The natural, the national average price of gas is at a record high, $4.31.8. That's a 59-cent increase from last week, according to AAA. Yesterday's record-setting price, the fourth consecutive day, prices have reached an all-time high. We can look across the nation and talk about, you know, it's higher here, it's higher there. And you know what people forget about is a lot of the cost of gas and diesel at the pump is because of taxes that are put on top of the gas price that we never think about. We don't even see it. So here at Truth News Network did some research. Who would you think, what state would you think has the highest state taxes on gas? What would you think? If you're asking me, I would say probably California first. New York second. Those would be my number one and two. I'm sure yours would maybe flip to that. You may say New York first, California second. But I think those two states would dominate a poll if somebody asked that. It's not, folks. The state that has the highest state gasoline tax is Illinois. Now listen to this. Almost 40 cents is tagged to the pump price of every gallon of gas in the state of Illinois, 39.2 cents. Now, let me ask you this. What do you think the federal part of that, the federal tax per gallon of gas is? My thoughts would be at 25 to 30 cents. It's actually 18.4 cents, 18.4 cents per gallon. So if you add that state and federal tax together, Illinois does have the highest total tax per gallon on gas, 57.6 cents. Number two, you would think it would be California or New York. It's actually, you're not going to believe this, Texas. Texas has the highest combined state and federal tax number. The state of Texas charges 38.4 cents per gallon. And you add in the federal tax, Texans are paying 56.8 cents of federal and state tax on every gallon of gas they pump. California comes in third, 35 cents in state tax, and their total tax is 53.4 cents per gallon. And then Florida is fourth, their state tax, 28 cents. So adding the two together, 46.4 cents per gallon for Floridians. New York is number Five, 25 cents a gallon, 43.4 cents total. My state, Louisiana, I thought we'd be way up there. We're not. 20 cents a gallon. That's half. If you live in Louisiana or drive through and fill up with gas, you're paying half the tax per gallon in Louisiana than you would pay 
in Chicago or any part of Illinois. Now, would it make sense for these states to temporarily suspend their taxes just to help the people of their states? What about the federal government? Wouldn't it help us if our federal government, if Joe said we're going to temporarily pause the federal tax on gasoline? That would be 18.4 cents a gallon. And of course, when you look at these numbers and you look at this con- conflict, it kind of makes you wonder, you know, it's going to be different from state to state. How much would it help? I don't think long-term it's sustainable because there is so much infrastructure costs that come out of the federal and the state gas tax. You couldn't do it permanently, but temporarily it would help. I don't know about you, but lately if you go to the grocery store and on the same trip you buy gas for the car, it's getting unbelievably expensive, noticeably expensive. It's a troubling thing. We're not hearing anything coming out of Washington, D.C. about it. All they do, the new talking point, and I sure don't even have to tell you, the new talking point in D.C. is all of our inflation, all of our price hikes, every one of them is Russia inflation. They're calling it Putin inflation. Isn't that kind of what Democrats have always done? I mean, just look in your rearview mirror in the recent history. That would be eight years with Barack Obama and Joe Biden at the top of the heap. Look at all of the issues that came up as they came up. It doesn't matter in what sector of government it was. If it was foreign policy, if it was on taxes, if it was because of anything else, they blamed all of that on the Bush administration. And then, of course, everything good that happened in the Bush administration, especially its last four years, they would say it was because they were coming into office that things turned around in advance of them actually taking control. And then their second four years, I'm talking about Barack and Joe, all of the stuff that they did, the bad stuff that happened, they blamed all that on the Bush administration. And then Donald Trump is elected president. Everything good that happened in the Trump administration, even though they were both out of office, Barack and Joe would take responsibility for all the good stuff. Democrats have always done that. And in this case, everything wrong that's happening in this administration is because of someone else. In this case, they couldn't blame it on Trump because we were energy independent his last few months in office. And we're anything but energy independent today. So who is the villain? (laughs) Vladimir Putin. Folks, we had massive inflation, record inflation. We had gas prices that were soaring before Ukraine ever started. This didn't just happen. This inflation didn't just happen. And don't let anybody trick you into believing that it happened instantly after the invasion started. It had been rocking and rolling along for months. For months. And we've never heard this president or anybody in his administration, the people that set all of the economic policies for us. And those economic policies they set, we have to live with, and they directly impact our economic issues all the time. 
Nobody in this administration, those that have made the policies that are in, uh, creating all of these things, will take responsibility. You're never going to hear an apology. Never will you hear an apology. He doubled down on it minutes ago. Today's inflation report is a reminder that Americans' budgets are being stretched by price increases and families are starting to feel the impacts of Putin's price hike. That comes from Joe Biden. The White House reacted to reports that showed the prices yesterday were up 0.8% in February from the previous month and the prices rose 7.9% from the previous year. That's the highest since 1982. You do the math, folks. How many years has it been since 1982? This is 2022. 40 years. Highest highest prices, highest increase in inflation since 1982. He tried to blame Putin's war on Ukraine for dramatically affecting energy prices, causing the number to jump. He said this, a large contributor to inflation this month was an increase in gas and energy prices as markets reacted to Putin's aggressive actions. Oil and gas were already at record increased pricing before the invasion. But you never want to take accountability if you're a Democrat. You never want to take responsibility for any of this kind of stuff that happens. If it's bad, it's got to be blamed on somebody else. It's either those evil conservatives, those Republicans, or in this case, they've got a straw man sitting out there. It's Vladimir Putin. Oh my gosh, that makes it easy for him. Price is going through the roof. It's because of Putin. It's because of Putin. Real truth, real news, TNN, the Truth News Network. Are you sure we should be out here? It's pretty cloudy. Come on, that'll pass. Really? I don't know. Yeah, just, just swing. I'm holding swing. a swing. <sighs> Bob? Whoa. Looks like someone could have used Yahoo OneSearch on his mobile phone. Try Yahoo OneSearch and get news, sports, even weather. Get better results. Text weather and your zip code to 92466. Be a better golfer. Yahoo! Standard carrier text messaging rates apply. Little Caesar's Thin Crust Pizza is so loaded with cheese and pepperoni you can't even see the crust. And if you ever want to see it again, listen very carefully. Bring 649 in unmarked bills or marked bills or coins or just a credit or debit card to Little Caesar's. Come alone and bring your friends or family. Bring everyone. Get a Little Caesar's Large Thin Crust Pizza with extra cheese and the most pepperoni, all at the nation's best price of just 649. Pizza, pizza. Top four national pizza chains. Extra most bestest thin crust pepperoni pizza versus large round one topping thin crust pepperoni pizza. Everyday standard menu prices at participating locations plus tax. ABC Tonight, it's all about big cash. Here we go! And big crash. <laughs> On the new season of Celebrity Wheel of Fortune, one star will spin it. Give me some money! To win it all. A big winner of $1 million. Then, host Leslie Jones is off to the races on Supermarket Suite. On your carts! Get set! Yeah. And we're going to need a cleanup on every aisle. Whoa, <laughs> it all starts tonight, 8, 7 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. What up, y'all? It's DJ Envy, and I'm teaming up with Turtle Wax this summer to make sure your rides are clean, shiny, protected, and even disinfected. Because whether you're hitting the streets or heading out on the highway to the beach, Turtle Wax will make sure your vehicle is looking, smelling, and feeling amazing. 
Turtle Wax is the only brand that I trust with my fleet of supercars. And y'all know how many cars I keep in my garage, right? Check out TurtleWax.com to learn more and be sure to buy now at TurtleWax.com or anywhere you shop for car care. You got big plans for the weekend? Well, start your weekend every Saturday morning. Grab a cup of coffee, uh, a cup of tea, and come to www.truthnewsnet.org. Every Saturday morning, first thing, we have our Saturday bullet points. And there's so much happening in the world around us, we know that it's virtually impossible for any of us to get all of that information. Because especially with this war going on in Europe, it's 24-7 stuff happening, and it's hard to keep up with. What we do with our Saturday bullet points is we go grab some of the biggest stories of the week, the top ones we feel like anyway, and especially the big ones that none of the mainstream media have been throwing at our round because that happens a lot, and we bring those to you. They're in bullet point format. That means every one of them, there's two or three sentences of explanation of what the story's about. If you've heard them already or if you get in the two to three sentence every, everything you need, just skip on to the next one. But if you want a complete detailed story, there's a bullet point at the end of it, and you click on a blue arrow, it takes you to the full story, and you can, on your timing, during the weekend, you can just get educated with stuff that you may have missed. It's our biggest, our most read offering of every week. It has been for several years. So check it out first thing in the morning. I know you got a busy day. We're back now, I was told. We're back into soccer season. This point of the year, we're out of the school league competition, and we're going into the club soccer. Got two granddaughters and two grandsons that are playing high school soccer. So what does that mean? Well, it's going to be cold this weekend, and I know we have soccer And when I say cold in North Louisiana, 29 degrees, our kids are playing soccer in 29 degrees. There's something wrong with that. You're not supposed to have to deal with that, are you? Well, before we get into this next big thing that I want to talk to you about, we mentioned Harris is over, our Vice President Harris, is over in Europe, and she's trying to um, shore up the concern that European people have that the United States is in good shape politically and that our leadership over there are prepared to do what is necessary to stop whatever bad is happening now in Europe and to help them. Well, she went to Poland, standing at a podium at a desk next to Poland's president. Listen to this and how this played out yesterday. We will do everything together in partnership, in solidarity, to support what is necessary at this very moment in terms of the humanitarian and security needs of Ukraine and the Ukrainian people. Vice President Kamala Harris out in Poland and doing her best to clean up the big mess over fighter jets for Ukraine. The Biden administration claiming a breakdown in communication as the reason for them blocking the deal that would have gotten Ukrainians the air defense capabilities desperately needed to fight off the Russian invasion. Harris claiming the U.S. is united with Poland despite the disconnect, even dodging a question about it. 
What kind of alternative plans does the United States have uh, to get materials to help Ukraine defend itself, uh, especially now that you have declined Poland's offer on jets? I want to be very clear. The United States and Poland are united in what we have done and are prepared to do to help Ukraine and the people of Ukraine. Full stop. And the vice president's visit to Europe is apparently all for show. According to Politico, White House officials say Harris is not there to make any deals, but merely as a symbol of the administration's commitment to Ukraine. What Harris did, however, was bring awkward moments like this. And for President Duda, I wanted to know if you think and if you asked the United States to specifically accept more refugees. Okay. <laughs> a friend in need is a friend indeed. <laughs> okay, I, yeah, I first. Jesse, I'll go to you. Why did they even send her? <laughs> well, Hunter was busy. Hunter? Yes. <laughs> so snotty. So, sorry, Geraldo. I don't know whether she didn't know that she was being called upon or couldn't answer the question because she was just asked, will you guys accept refugees? Right. She always accepts refugees. She's never said no to accepting refugees. Mm -hmm. And she couldn't handle it, and she tossed it to the Polish president. That was strange to then cackle and laugh during a time of crisis like this. Putin's got to be looking at this and saying to himself, and he's KGB, this does not look like a united front. When you have a kerfuffle, amateur hour, with a Polish jet, that's a fiasco. Biden apparently said, yes, yeah, send jets, and then the Pentagon said, no, we can't do it. So Biden said, it was the Polish president's idea. And so she goes over there, and it's a word salad. I counted some phrases, and we're paid to speak for a living, so we know when someone has no idea what they're talking about. In, You're the expert. I am. <laughs> in, in three sentences, this is, this is what she said. To the extent... In terms of, in light of, in particular, and as it relates to. There was a guy on social media, I think Matt Walsh was his name. He said, Kamala sounds like she's trying to hit the word count for a term paper. <laughs> Remember in high school, you just had to get it to 300 words. That's how she sounds. So I'm sick of them saying nothing. And I would actually like Biden especially to stop saying what he won't do. I know people have said that before, but... Why not keep Putin guessing? Why not maybe say, well, you know what, we might actually, we're not taking anything off the table. You know, maybe you buzz some jets over the Russian border. Maybe you throw some subs into the Black Sea. Maybe you pay Putin's girlfriend a visit in Switzerland. You knock on the door of the chalet, maybe deliver a bouquet of roses. Maybe the CIA writes a little something in the note. I'll see you in The Hague. Get in his head, because right now, Putin doesn't, what's he have, two weeks to surround the capital? Zelensky's in deep trouble if he can't hold these guys off soon. And it's, you know, they're going to starve him out and then they're going to send in assassins. We don't have a lot of time. We have to do something more than we're doing right now.
Well, you know, Dana, given the fact that she doesn't even have the, the ability to say, yes, we will accept refugees when she's in charge of the border, uh, <laughs> is, is really, it's stunning. I mean, she has the, like, the intellectual horsepower of a fourth grader. I mean, why is she there? Didn't she know that she'd be asked these questions? Well, I, um, I wouldn't, I think that she was sent there on a mission that was destined to fail. And this has happened again and again to her. Intentionally? She, no, not necessarily. I think that because of the administration is just like at cross purposes. At once, she was like she was going to go to Poland because she was going to deliver some something tangible. And then when she gets there, after the fact, they say, actually, no, she's just there to show a symbolic relationship. Now, her performance was very much not tear down this wall. OK, it was better than John Kerry taking James Taylor to France. But she does. She gets there, so she doesn't have a deliverable to say the MIGs are going to get to Ukraine. But not only did she not have a deliverable, she didn't know the answer to the question about why the MIGs aren't going. Right. And that's the most important thing that you, she could have done today is provide clarity on that. Now, instead, we're on the, the third day of everyone saying, help us understand. Javelins are okay to send. The Patriot missile system, all of that is okay, but the MIGs are not. That might be a good decision, but can you explain it to us? And they are not able to do that. She should not have taken the assignment if she wasn't going to be able to deliver something. Or she should have said, I've got an idea. Why don't we deliver this, X, Y, or Z? Or she could have said, the refugees are welcome. They just got to get through Mexico first. <laughs> uh, this regarding Harris. Let me, let me just tell you this. If you don't know something, and you're asked a question, and you don't know the answer to it. Just not knowing the answer to it doesn't mean you're stupid. But let me what let me tell you what what defines you as being stupid when you don't know the answer to something, and instead of getting the answer or having someone to get it and bring it to you or send it to you very quickly if you can, you don't do that, and you try to just BS your way through an answer. Just because you can say, well, I answered the question, but you don't get the facts. If you don't get the facts in that case, you are stupid. And I'm not saying the vice president is stupid. I don't know all the circumstances. But to be honest with you, there is no excuse for this administration sending anybody out, internationally especially, to stand in front of press corps with leaders of these nations and not be prepared by the experts that are surrounding them. I mean, there is a covey of people that go everywhere that Vice President Harris goes. She should have access to any and every resource necessary to complete the task that she is given by the executives. That would be Joe Biden and his handlers of what she is supposed to do anytime she goes anywhere. And the fact that this administration's not doing that, it didn't just happen yesterday, folks. It happens every time she goes anywhere. That is the height of stupidity. I'm sorry, there's no other way to couch it. So in this question about those MiGs, can you imagine we're 16 days now into this conflict since Vladimir Putin started and that convoy of all those tanks and armored trucks that was 40 miles long. It was stranded for days and days. And of course, Vladimir, Vladimir Zelensky 
in his Air Force, they didn't have the planes that were necessary, the fighter planes. They could have gone just taking those things out. And now for two weeks, Zelensky's been begging for jets so that his warriors, not flyers, not pilots from other countries, but from Ukraine, they know these MiGs. Poland's got them. They offered them up. But they said there's a contingency. We, because we're here on the ground in Europe, and we're right next door to Ukraine, we don't want our providing the planes, the fighter jets to Ukraine to cause Russia to declare war against us. So here's the condition. We'll make them available, but the U.S. has got to pick them up at at Ramstein Air Force Base in Germany. We're out of it then. We'll just make the equipment necessary. Well, I get that. I understand that. But when they made that that, uh, rule that would govern whether or not this whole thing would work, Joe Biden and his military leaders said no. Now, we're 16 days into this. Remember that. So the State Department stepped up to the television microphone yesterday on MSNBC Live. Ned Price, their spokesperson, their Jen Psaki, defended the U.S. opposing Poland's plan to transfer those MiGs to Ukraine by arguing that Ukraine doesn't need the planes to fight Russia. Now, this is a spokesperson, not a military leader. No one with any military leadership experience. Ned Price for the State Department. How the heck would he know that these jets would not help Ukraine? When Ned explained his reasoning, he said the threat Ukraine faces is better designed for surface-to-air systems. Here's his full statement. When it comes to the planes, the challenge is that the threat Ukraine faces is better designed for surface-to-air systems. These are systems that we have provided to Ukraine in the past, and the Department of Defense is looking into options to provide additional such systems so the Ukrainian counterpart partners can be more effective and taking on the precise threats that we're seeing wreak such havoc, wreak such destruction across Ukraine right now. And he had a PS. He added that the Department of Defense has concluded that what Ukraine needs to take on the Russian assets that are causing such destruction, the missiles, the rockets, the artillery, are not planes, but these surface-to-air systems, and these are systems that we have provided Ukraine, and we are looking at options to provide even more. He also showed some concern that any transfer of the jets could escalate the situation by dragging more countries into the conflict. No explanation for his opinions, and to be quite honest with you, they make no sense. Ukraine could do so much more than they're able to do now with fighter jets that they can put in the air to take on Russia's fighter jets, the ones that are shooting missiles and dropping bombs on civilians across the nation of Ukraine. But the big thing that just blows my mind in this is the timing. Come on now, we're 16 days into this. 
Zelensky's been asking our president, talking to him, help us with armament, help us with missile systems, batteries. And we've sent some, but we're so stinking slow to react. And in war, folks, if you don't act quickly, in most cases, you're going to die. In this case, the Ukrainian people, civilians are dying because of slow reactions on the part of any military response against the invaders, the Russian people. I just don't understand. It's like, it's almost like, and I hate to say this, but it's almost like our military leaders and our political leaders are saying, man, we need to get this thing over with quickly, even if it means that Ukraine loses. Do you get that? Do you, do you feel anything like that? I really do. I sense it. I hope it's not true, but it could very well be true. So back to the drawing board. What about our inflation? Well, Joe Biden yesterday, he reacted to the latest inflation numbers for February, and he blamed, of course, Russian President Putin. He said, today's inflation report is a reminder Americans' budgets are being stretched by price increases. Families are starting to feel the impacts of Putin's price hike. Like Putin is raising prices in America. We're supposedly not buying any oil from Putin. I don't think we're getting anything else from him. But vodka and people across the nation have made it very public. They're not buying Russian vodka anymore. I don't think that's going to handicap Vladimir Putin. And of course, we talked about the inflation numbers. I just wanted to point it out and give you the quote where President Biden is blaming all of our economic woes on Vladimir Putin. CNBC's Rick Santelli. Now, you don't hear this happen very often. A far-left media outlets. CNBC is the financial um, cable channel that covers the financial systems and everything going on in the financial world, economic world every day for NBC. Rick Santelli of that network ripped Biden. They're evolving excuses for inflation. He analyzed the increase in inflation by questioning Biden's many explanations for the economic issue that's causing Americans to look twice at our budget. Let's look back to all the things we've been through, Santelli said. First, it was, talking about inflation, transitory, he said. Then it was, inflation is good. Then we went to corporate greed. Now, guess where we are? It's all Putin's fault. Listen, it's probably all of the above to some degree. But no matter how you slice it, it's all about commodities for the most part. And king commodity is energy. Most people in the U.S. are reminded of that about what? Every three to four days when they go fill up their tanks? Inflation hit another 40-year high yesterday. It rose 7.9% in February. Gas prices jumped 6.6%. And it's going even higher. Next year, next week's numbers are going to be traumatic. Fruit and vegetable prices, they climbed 2.3% in one month, folks. 
Biden put the blame on Putin, as he has for rising gas prices. Biden tweeted yesterday, the inflation report was a reminder that Americans' budgets are being stretched by price increases. Families are starting to feel the impact of Putin's price hike. He reiterated hours later, a big contributor to inflation was an increase in gas and energy as markets reacted to Putin's aggressive action. Let me ask you this. If uh, we're a nation that buys gas, we produce a lot of it ourselves. Why would the Putin actions raise the prices of gasoline at our pumps if we're using all United States gas and just a small portion of it is being imported. Somebody, if you're listening, that can explain that to me, give us a call, toll-free, 1-866-37-TRUTH, 1-866-378-7884. I just got a news bulletin handed to me in case you haven't heard. President Biden is now in the hospital. They won't talk about the exact thing that's going on there, but we do know one of the fundamental reasons for him put in the, in the hospital today is he couldn't stop Putin. <laughs> you got that for free. We're outside Pilgrim Furniture and Mattress City where parents are disappearing. Excuse me, are your parents in there? Yeah. They can't decide if they should take no interest for 60 months with no money down or an extra $100 off every $9.99 they spend. It's a tough choice. But they've been in there for six hours. I want dinner. Parents, if you're at Pilgrim, please make a decision. The I'm crazy hungry, so she's got to be too. Slide through the Mickey D's drive-thru to get a Big Mac. Right after I order her quarter pounder with cheese, because I don't know everything, but I do know what my girl's feeling hangry meal. Get it at McDonald's when you buy one of your faves, like the Big Mac, quarter pounder with cheese, 10-piece chicken McNuggets, or filet of fish, and get another for just a dollar. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid on item of equal or lesser value. Here's good news. Even with high unemployment, there's still a need for hundreds of thousands of cybersecurity professionals in the U.S. right now. And my computer career is training people to help meet the demand. No IT experience? No problem. Take the free career evaluation today at mycomputercareer.edu. Start your new life as an IT pro in as little as four months. Grants covering up to 53% of the cost are available to those who qualify. It's not rocket science. It's mycomputercareer.edu. New home ownership can be a real eye-opener, but it's the perfect time to look into Homeowner 101 from The Home Depot. Free live streaming workshops taught by expert associates. Now at homedepot.com slash workshops. You'll find indoor and outdoor workshops, even home systems workshops. Plus, you'll get the know-how you need to care for your biggest investment. Master the basics at Homeowner 101, only at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Register now at homedepot.com slash workshops. Clarity of thought. Clarity of vision. Clarity of message. Real truth. Real news. TNN. The Truth News Network. Again, Dan Newman. During that short break, I actually got three texts. One of them started, 
OMG, the president's in the hospital, question mark, question mark. You didn't hear it at the tagline at the end. It was a joke, folks. Trump's in the hospital. Trump, listen to me. Biden's in the hospital because he couldn't stop Putin. (laughs) It's a joke. It's a joke. Folks, sometimes if we don't laugh, (laughs) we're going to get sick about it. And speaking of this, this, um, this inflation thing, you heard CNBC guy. He took on the president for all this stuff. A conservative guy, Stuart Varney. I like him. I like his accent, his British accent. But he's also on top of things economically. And he gives us every time, pretty much every time he opens his mouth, he gives us a non-political perspective on economic issues, the important ones going on. Well, he did just that this morning on inflation. A year ago, the left was the most powerful bloc in the Democrat Party. Now, they have no answer to the inflation problem which they largely created and which will really hurt them in November. I think some change is coming. The price of gas hit yet another record today. Regular now averages 4.32. Diesel, I believe, comes in at $5.06 per gallon. That's the average on diesel. Overall, as we said, consumer prices rising at a clip of 7.9%. Huge. Asked to respond, AOC just said, oh, we've got to lower our dependence on oil. And then she just walked away. Still uber green, doing nothing about the damage being done to working people, which are her constituents. Energy Secretary Granham will not answer any questions. A Fox reporter was just hustled away when he asked about pipelines. Please remember, she, the secretary, has presided over the cancellation of four pipelines that would have served 25 million homes. Her silence speaks volumes. The policy is just plain wrong. Speaking for the president, Jen Psaki blamed it all on Putin, ignoring the fact that gas and oil prices were rising way before Ukraine was invaded. The president blames Putin and the oil companies. During the campaign, he loudly proclaimed his intention to kill the oil business. He even suggested oil company executives go to jail. And now, faced with the inevitable shortage of fossil fuels, our president is negotiating with terrorists and tyrants. The Greens look really bad when we go cap in hand to Maduro and the Mullahs. I don't think this stands. I don't see how Biden can allow the left to continue to run his party. I got a prediction. Today's dire inflation news will force a reversal of our energy policy. I think we'll drill, and I think we will. Okay, pipelines. Maybe I'm out on a limb with this, but politicians are in the business of winning elections, and you do not win elections in America with $5 gas. Gotta be honest with you, I, I like what Stuart Varney had to say there. I agree with pretty much everything he said. But what we're watching happen, folks, is a Democrat party. They don't, they don't even make or seem to even try to make any kind of move away from the problems, the policies, the decisions, the legislation or lack of legislation that caused all these things to happen, especially inflation. And they feel like they've got it in the hat. They just don't care. At the end of that soundbite, Stuart Barney said, they're about elections. They're always about winning elections. I don't see any way, unless something drastic turns pretty quickly now, that the Democrat Party can think that they can even save one of the two houses of Congress. I think they're both going to go to Republicans. In the Senate, I don't think it will make a huge difference. I think there will be a few seats that change parties. 
in the House of Representatives, folks, there's a very slim five-vote margin now that goes the Democrat Party way. I think that will be gone, and the Republicans will have a dominant majority for the last two years of the Biden administration, unless, of course, he runs and wins again. You get those two cents and those opinions for nothing. Yesterday, White House Press Secretary Saki, she got asked pretty hard about this inflation stuff. Saki told reporters gas prices are going to continue to go up in the coming months, she said. And, of course, she said due in large part to Vladimir Putin. Saki communicated that the experts that the White House turns to expect the markets to eventually stabilize and inflation to slow, saying the energy crisis is just temporary. Kind of like they told us inflation is transitory. They told us that a year ago. And it's not only still here. It's certainly transitioning, and it's transitioning to higher prices. When Peter Ducey pressed her on how long the temporary inflation actually means, she kind of uh, shrugged it off. We rely on the assessment of the Federal Reserve, she said, and outside economic analysts who give an assessment of how long it's going to last. Their expectations and their assessment at this point is that it will moderate at the end of the year. Now put that in your pipe just for a second and smoke it. They're actually predicting this is not only is it not going to stand still, it's probably going to go up because she talked about the surges in prices will probably continue. And then she said this, quote, the experts, the expectations and their assessment at this point is that it will moderate at the end of the year. In other words, here we are in March. Oh my gosh, that's three months in for the next nine months. It's not only going to stay with us, it's going to continue to go up and it won't moderate, which doesn't mean it will go back to the previous levels. I'm talking about the prices. It will only kind of settle down a little bit. That kind of, um, it makes me feel kind of queasy in my stomach. Well, let's switch gears here. You know that January 6th committee is making a lot of noise. Most in Washington, D.C. are ignoring it, but they are really turning the heat up on everybody on the other side of the aisle from them. And they're going after willy-nilly, not stopping trying to find people to blame and even create false things to blame them for coming out of the January 6th investigation. So after this committee spied on the communications of members of Congress, they seized bank records of Americans that were engaged in that peaceful protest, fabricating evidence against their political opponents, and then threatening the freedom of the press Pelosi's hand-picked January 6th committee have told their media allies, allies they're going to try to criminalize the act of Republicans that raise money for safeguarding our upcoming elections. They're going to criminalize it. Now listen to this. This latest abuse of power from our norm-breaking committee was revealed earlier this week in a one-sided report Nobody on the right, it was all from the leftist on that committee, 
and there are only two conservatives, and they're not really conservatives, two Republicans, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. The committee composed exclusively of Democrat-appointed members. They're trying to get access to the private financial records of its political opponents and the donors who supported them as part of an unprecedented try to claim that fundraising in support of election integrity may constitute wire fraud. you got to stay with this. This is pretty deep, but this is how vile those on the left are, how desperate they are to get brownie points. Here's what this formal thing says about the process they're looking to do. Officials with the committee said the day's events cannot be viewed in a vacuum. And that, of course, gave them the right to argue that the fundraising and the political appeals that happened in the months leading up to January 6th are a reason the pro-Trump mob stormed the Capitol. These people knew the claims they were making about the election were false, but still sent emails anyways because it was an effective way to raise money. That comes from an unnamed person familiar with the investigation. So there are several big problems with this scheme, this latest scheme from the committee to redefine legitimate election integrity concerns as knowingly false claims of stolen elections. First, it's yet another brazen assault on the First Amendment, rights of speech and political assembly. Second, it was not in fact false to say that the 2020 election was riddled with problems. And we can give you documentation out the wazoo of courts around the nation that are one at a time coming out and saying, yes, there was election fraud here. In fact, we published a list of sources yesterday with 20 claims and the documentation that proves there was election fraud. It is a conspiracy theory to say it didn't have major problems. Given the exorbitantly funded, widespread, and coordinated takeover of a bunch of government election offices at the local level by Mark Zuckerberg and the money he gave. And of course, that's to say nothing of a press that engaged in blatant propaganda for its political allies and against its political foes, and tech companies that actually meddled throughout the 2020 election using their algorithmic manipulation and social social justice post, the deplatforming of the most effective conservative communicators, and Democrat-led censorship of stories harmful to their political allies. And don't forget about this, the Democrat National Committee itself They went crazy with their wild conspiracy theory that Donald Trump had colluded with Russia to steal the election in 2016, a lie that many on the left peddled for years. In 2018, the DNC even raised money off of the news that it filed a lawsuit against Trump and Russia for supposedly colluding to steal that election. The Democratic National Committee in a lawsuit filed blamed the party's fundraising woes during the 2016 presidential race on a nefarious plot engineered by the Trump campaign with Russian officials and WikiLeaks 
to disrupt the election. In fact, folks, the DNC and the Hillary campaign secretly funded the operation to develop the lie that the Trump campaign had engineered such a plot. Why don't we just consider doing this? Why don't we just consider to just do our jobs? Just do your job. I mean, come on now. The American people are tired of all of this. The American people just want you to do the jobs that you ran for and that you told us you were going to do. Yeah, we're going to have insanity. We're going to have stupidity abundant. But that's going to go on. We'll handle that one thing at a time. But just go to work. Go to work. Craft legislation. Hold government branches accountable. Government oversight is what the United States House of Representatives is specifically charged to do. Why don't you do that? Instead of crafting these massive omnibus bills in the middle of the night and hiding and having a hearing in committee at 2.30 in the morning in which you're going to pass that legislation, not giving Republicans even the opportunity to see it, yet alone add amendments to it and do any debate whatsoever. Did you know that's what happened with that omnibus bill that was signed into law yesterday? More than a trillion dollars, some of it going to Ukraine. That's what Democrats did. 2,700-page bill. Nobody read it. Not a single person read it before they voted. That goes all the way back to the beginning of Obamacare. I'll never forget House Leader Nancy Pelosi. Nobody had read the bill in the Congress, the House, or the Senate when they passed it. And she gleefully in a microphone when asked about it, she said, you know, we had to pass the bill so we could find out what's in the bill. That's a really good way to govern, isn't it? And then you have loose cannons out there that somehow got some authority to make stupid commitments. They don't have any government authority. They're not elected. They're not formally appointed to any real, like, cabinet position. But he's labeled Joe Biden's claimants are. Who would that be? Well, that would be John Kerry. John Kerry yesterday. Here's what John Kerry did. He told an informal UN Security Council meeting yesterday that Joe Biden is committed to increasing U.S. funding to developing countries by upwards of $10 billion a year Why? To help fight climate change. $10 billion a year. AP reported last September, Biden promised to increase annual climate finance to over $11 billion, quadrupling the funding from the 2009 to 2017 presidency of Obama when Biden was vice president. Look, folks, I I am sick and tired as our millions of Americans, tens of millions of Americans. We're sick of this government coming up and everything that's a real issue or everything they label as a real issue, just throw money at it. Oh yeah, let's put a, a billion here, a billion over there. Let's put 10 billion, you know, out there in the in the gray area of life where nobody can really 
hammer down and get factual information about climate change, but we're going to commit as a nation. We're going to throw $10 billion into climate change. Well, what, what about climate change are we going into it for? It's climate change. We're going to put $10 billion there to make sure we're tackling climate change. Well, what are you going to do in that? Well, we're going to go after all those things that create climate change. we got to stop it or the world's going to die. All it is, folks, it's a piggy bank. It's a piggy bank. Politicians are paying others that have contributed to them people who they're obviously obligated to, promise this, promise that, pet causes, and it's you and me that are paying those tens of billions of dollars every year to this stuff, and we have no say-so in it. And yet they, they do it, and they continue to do it over and over again. I mentioned this a couple of days ago. A friend of mine that is in the position in our government uh, to look and see pretty much everything that goes on with economic issues. And I was told that we're going to have some grocery price, not just massive price increases, but we're going to have some shortages that we're going to have to deal with. On a national level, global wheat prices have skyrocketed since Russia launched that Ukraine invasion. Russia and Ukraine together. Most people don't know this. They export 26% of the world's wheat. Due to the war, the three largest shipping companies in the world stopped bookings to and from Russia. In addition, most black seaports, the points of departure for two-thirds of Ukrainian grain exports, are shut down, totally shut down. Wheat prices around the world have increased sharply since the start of the conflict as trade disruptions have raised fears, justifiable fears of a wheat shortage. The war has caused volatility in both cash and future markets, and that turns into things are going to change. Following this invasion, the wheat futures on the Chicago Board of Trade surged more than 50%. 50% already. That's on wheat. $12.94 per bushel. Ukraine, often dubbed the breadbasket of Europe, has really favorable conditions for the growth of not just wheat, but other agricultural crops and grain. Ukraine and Russia combined account for 16% of corn exports, 30% of barley. The wheat futures market in the U.S. has attracted a phenomenal amount of outside speculative money, and this was due to the assumption that the war would cause a big surge in demand for wheat in the United States. Now, what is wheat? We, we, we seldom go to the store and buy wheat. I mean, we just don't do it. Well, wheat is in a lot of the products that we take for granted, and we just buy them, and it's no big deal. What's the number one? It's bread. Now, think about that for a second. Wheat goes into bread. Wheat itself, we wouldn't think would be a big problem if we had uh, supply chain issues with wheat. But we will. It will make a huge dent in our groceries and the availability because there is wheat in tons of products that are on the market today. The number one one being, of course, wheat. Wheat. 
what Democrats are celebrating today. They're celebrating the first anniversary of Biden's $1.9 trillion stimulus bill. And it's kind of noteworthy that on the anniversary of it, inflation hits a 40-year high. Democrats are celebrating. And uh, it's because of pretty much that stimulus bill. While some economists say supercharged inflation is what they're actually celebrating on this first birthday. The milestone arrives at an awkward moment for Joe Biden. The Bureau of Labor Statistics released their consumer price data monthly one yesterday showing inflation surged to its highest level in four decades. And don't forget March 11th, one year ago, 2021, Biden signed this bill into law. So according to the latest data released yesterday, Consumer price index, 7.9% up in the past 12 months, marking a 40-year high for inflation. You want a comparison? Well, prices rose 1.7% during the 12-month period ending in February of 2021. You got that? 7.9% this year. Last year, 1.7%. Despite inflation rising to record levels since his $1.9 trillion American rescue plan, Biden and his fellow Dem leaders described the bill as a success and slammed Republicans for not voting in favor of it. That was legislation that was absolutely necessary for families across our country. And it's important to remember that not one, not one Republican voted for it. That's according to Michigan Senator Gary Peters. DNC Chairman Jamie Harrison also said that the American Rescue Plan failed to receive any Republican votes. Neither Peters nor Harrison addressed the argument that the large-scale stimulus bill fueled inflation. They don't want to talk about that. But I can I can never forget in the past, any time the Republicans in Congress were passing some spending bill of anything regarding it, they would scream and holler and talk about This excessive spending is going to, I mean, it's going to light a fire under inflation. It's going to cost our prices to go up and everything to go up in cost, and we're going to struggle. Inflation will mean we'll have high interest rates and all that kind of stuff. But nobody on the Democratic side would even talk about what $1.9 trillion worth of spending was going to do in the last 12 months. And here we are, folks. We're living the effects of what they didn't say was going to happen and wouldn't even talk about spending by the government, massive spending by the Biden administration was going to turn into prices like we're paying now today at the gas pump. And they don't take any accountability. Thank you for joining us this morning. Join us Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 Central for Dan Newman, TNN Live. The Truth News Network. Or online all the time at truthnewsnet.org. And now back to John with the weather. Yes, Andy. Tonight, a big storm. Storm this! Get the soccer offer from Pizza Hut and Pepsi. With every two medium pan Super Supreme, you get a real soccer ball and four cans of Pepsi for free. Yes, a real soccer ball and four cans of Pepsi for free. Yes, Pepsi the soccer ball. 
Don't miss the Pizza Hut and Pepsi soccer offer with every two medium pan Super Supreme. You get a real soccer ball and four cans of Pepsi for free. What about the weather, Eddie? Don't resist and call 19,000 now. When it comes to online meetings, you're crushing it. But if you want to crush something that's a little more fun, why not play Best Fiends, the five-star rated puzzle game? Best Fiends is loaded with challenging puzzles that are so much fun. And you're never accidentally on mute. So take a stress break with the cutest characters on the planet and download Best Fiends for free from the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Play Best Fiends. Download free. Join a community of online learning and find your bright future at the American Women's College of Bay Path University. Getting your college education doesn't necessarily make it so you have different self-worth or you mean more. There's so many different roads you can take. But if you have the feeling that you want it, go get it. The American Women's College is supportive and kind, and what you've created has changed lives, and I'm so grateful that I can say I've been part of it. Enrolling now for September and November at baypath.edu slash future. Hey, 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 got some breaking news. This one will blow your mind, especially if you live in Louisiana or Texas or somewhere in the Gulf South. A lawsuit was filed yesterday against Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones. Now, who would file this lawsuit and why against Jerry? A woman who claims to be his daughter. A 25-year-old congressional aide who grew up in Texas is suing Jerry Jones. That's is according to the Dallas Morning News. The lawsuit was filed on behalf of the girl named Alexandra Davis. She claims that her mother and Jones had a relationship back in the 1990s. According to court documents, Jones and the woman's mother had an agreement. And the agreement was financial support as long as the Cowboys owner wasn't revealed as the father. Here's what the report says. Alexandra Davis is asking a court to find that she isn't legally bound by the agreement between Jones and her mother if she were to attempt to legally establish that he is her father. She doesn't want to be sued or lose her financial trust. Now, financial trust, and what does that mean? He set up financial trust. <laughs> She's also seeking declaration from the court that such settlement agreements should be unenforceable in Texas. The lawsuit was temporarily sealed on Wednesday ahead of a hearing scheduled for March 31st, 31st, but the Dallas Morning News got the lawsuit through the county's online court record system before the file was sealed. By the way, Jones has been married since 1963 to Eugenia Jones. I know her. I've been in the suite with her. Jeannie, she's she's a very, very elegant lady. And uh, she has three really good kids, Jerry Jr., Stephen, and uh, the one that is married to Shy Anderson, the daughter. And they're great people. By the way, in case you didn't know it, Jerry Jones bought the Dallas Cowboys and paid a paltry $140 million back in 1989. And this franchise is recognized by economic 
sports economic experts around the nation, around the world as being the most valuable professional sports franchise. You know what they say the Cowboys are worth today? Six, six with an X, billion dollars. The Cowboys, the Dallas Cowboys with the star are worth six, six billion bucks. How much money is $6 billion? (laughs) It is a bunch, a whole bunch of money. Now, once again, I want to remind you, every Saturday, our bullet points offerings, they come up and we make a potpourri, a collection of the biggest stories of the previous week. Many of those, several at least, you weren't able to get during the week. You didn't have time and you just missed them. But we don't want to make we want we want we don't want to take a lot of your time on Saturday. And this way, with the bullet points, the way it works is we put a couple of descriptive sentences in each bullet point that explains the story. If you've already heard the story, or maybe you heard a little bit about it, you want to deep dive and get more from it. Then there's a blue arrow at the end of the, each bullet point to go to a full story that explains the whole thing. And our final story today. This one's really heartbreaking to me. An extremist left-wing activist group has launched a radical sex education summer camp for 8- to 10-year-old kids, folks, in Indiana. The camps are advertised with plans to teach these little kids about woke gender ideology, transgenderism, condom use, and other highly sexual information. Again, This is for 8- and 10-year-old kids. The main organizer for the camps is Ashley Robertson, who is a self-proclaimed sexually sexuality educator for kids. And I didn't know we even needed that. But we have it, folks. And that's just the latest travesty for our children in the United States. Hey, listen, you have a great weekend. We'll be back over the weekend with news at truthnewsnet.org. And of course, Monday morning, every Monday through Friday morning at 9 to 11 Central Time in the U.S. We'll be back with TNN Live. Thank you for being part of the family. So long, everybody.